my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a fantastic weekend. A great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent for National Review. Uh, always a great time talking to Jim. Uh, we discussed all of the horrific economic news that we've been we've been seeing lately, and we tried to sort it all out and get to the bottom of just how bad this is going to get, how, how bad this recession is going to be, um, and what, if anything, um, the government should be doing about it. Um, not, not the cheeriest episode you're ever going to hear, but, but a lot of good information. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Jim, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you're an iTunes user. Please take a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Jim Garrity. All right, guys, we're here with Jim Garrity. Jim, how you been, man? Brady, it is nice to metaphorically see you and speak to you again. Uh, it is it is kind of damp and cloudy here in Northern Virginia, and I feel like that kind of you know fits the national mood. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like uh, I see on your podcast you at least come up with one uh, one piece of good news a day to talk about. So we'll, we'll try to I don't know, maybe try to end the podcast with some kind of optimism here, but mm. uh, it's tough. I mean, it's been a tough it's been a tough week or so. Um, I want I want to start Jim by discussing just how bad, in your opinion. Um, this recession is going to be in the coming months and years. Um, you know, you're a lot smarter than me, so I hope hopefully you can point out things that I'm missing here. But going back to last week, watching the market react to the Fed's rate hike uh, does not leave me with a lot of optimism. Uh, it's kind of tough to see a silver lining here. And and for perspective, the the Fed funds rate, which is the rate for anybody everybody at home it's the rate that banks charge each other for overnight loans um, and it's been artificially at zero for i don't know how many years 10 years now at this point um, so the fed funds rate went from a half a percent to one percent and it tanked the stock market okay like we're, we're dealing with the same for perspective we're dealing with the same rate of inflation we were dealing with 40 years ago in the early 80s and to combat inflation 40 years ago the fed funds rate topped 20 percent for mm-hmm. about a year okay like i said a, a half point hike last week tanked the market I, I just don't think there's any kind of political will to do the things necessary to fight inflation in any real sense. So, like, I, I, I'm just not seeing right now how we make it out of this without some serious pain. I was going to say, the, the, you know, there aren't a lot of ways to get out of a bad inflationary spiral, and all of them are pretty painful. And the more, you know, at this point, we're in the situation in which we are obese. The doctor has told us you're in really bad shape. You got to do something. And we're kind of calculating... Okay, how little exercise can I do? <laughs> how little change to my diet? Can, how minimal? How small a change can I make? Because as bad as it is, oh, we see the prospect of of taking the necessary steps as too painful to contemplate. And yeah, like you know, raising interest rates is going to be really bad. It would be really helpful if the government would stop. Like, you know, we, there are a bunch of reasons for this inflation, and I think some folks on our side, you can oversimplify it by saying, you know, oh, it's all Biden's fault. It's not all Biden's fault. Oh no, but 
Yeah, but on a variety of fronts, he has made things worse, probably most notably with the uh, COVID relief back in March 2021. Um, the economy was already starting to recover. Jobs are already starting to be created. Inflation was already starting to pick up, even though, you know, Biden was insisting it was transitory or no serious economist was worried about it. And then they threw boom, another more than another, you know, another couple trillion into the economy. Uh, and oh, by the way, you know, this is one of the things I wrote about last week. In the middle of 2021, they finally got the infrastructure bill done. Boom, another 1.2 trillion. And uh, I had a chance to speak to Massachusetts Governor uh, Chris Sununu, who was observing, you've just given money to all of the states and they're gonna spread it down to God knows how many localities. And they're all gonna be trying to buy concrete, steel, uh, asphalt. Because it's not like there's an oil shortage right now. We've got plenty of oil around to to turn into asphalt, right? So what happens when you have all 50 states and God knows how many localities all trying to buy the same stuff at the same time? And oh, by the way, what do all our our construction equipment run on? Diesel fuel, which, you know, keeps hitting a new record every day. So um, I I try not to to freak people out. I try not to panic people. I don't want to be that kind of, you know, writer who's always hitting, turning it up to 11 uh, and telling you it's never been as bad as this. But, you know, the next year economically is probably going to suck. Um, yes, unemployment is very low, and I'm glad. In fact, most people keep pointing out, wow, the real problem is this continuing labor shortage, which we've had since the the pandemic ended. Uh, And of course, the president keeps going around the country promising that his his policies will create jobs. Yeah, president, that's not the problem. (laughs) We don't don't need new jobs. We need new workers. We need somebody to go in and take all these jobs because every business you go to is not used to have help wanted. Then it had, we're hiring, and now it has, please be patient because we are understaffed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, it, obviously, it's a great point that this isn't all Biden, and I do blame Trump a lot. I mean, Donald Trump shut down the global economy in, mm. in March 2020, you know, and he, he handed over, essentially, control of the federal government to Anthony Fauci. Um, and, and through those lockdowns, they, you know, fundamentally changed the American public's view of work. Mm. Yeah, and people think that you should be able to do any job from home. <laughs> you know what I mean? You shouldn't have to work very many hours per week. And it's, and you know, it's funny. And, and before reading the morning jolt, which I highly recommend to the audience uh, this morning, I I wasn't aware that uh, there's something like uh, 1.2 trillion dollars in unspent um, in- infrastructure money. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. That's ter- that's yeah. terrifying. Um, if you wanted to be a writer, that doesn't scare people. Well, you scared the crap out of me with that with that number. Because, um, like you said, I mean, they're they're going to pour massive amounts of cash into these states and and, and local communities and, and buying things like steel and concrete and all of that. Um, obviously, we saw last week uh, Congress is going to print another forty billion for Ukraine. There's going to be another forty billion next month. Um, I mean, regardless of what you think about the war in Ukraine, it, it, you know, it, look at the the read the tea leaves economically speaking we shouldn't be doing this um and they'll keep they'll they'll have another 40 billion ne- next month another 40 billion in in July they'll, they'll keep this up and it's like if you're looking at our leaders our brilliant leaders in Washington if if they were trying to make this impending crash worse intentionally what would they be doing i mean we're looking at economic calamity yeah. and they come up with war infrastructure spending and price controls. <laughs> the yeah. Democrats are talking about price control. So it's like if, if they were trying to lead us into slaughter, what would they be doing differently? As a, yeah, Brady, in short, Joe Biden will spend whatever it takes to end this inflation crisis. <laughs> um, he will throw as much money at the problem of too much money until, you know, until it goes away. Um, and that's that's not that too different from what they're doing. 
Uh, and I found myself in an unusual spot, you know, last week or two as they've been discussing that 40 billion for Ukraine. Um, I'm pretty darn pro-Ukraine, absolutely, you know, vehemently anti-Putin, anti-Russian. And I do think the U.S. should be helping out Ukraine both on the humanitarian front and on the military assistance front. But, and you know that but was coming, um, I really feel like this turned into one of those, first of all, we just gave them like 13 billion like a month ago, right? So this is, is not like they're, you know, um, we, we haven't been, you know, sending them stuff. And then the, the, the administration came out with their, you know, 30 some billion per number. And then it got to the house and the house bumped it up to 40. Now, 9 billion of that is going towards restocking our supply of military equipment that we've been sending to Ukraine. So I think most, you know, there's pretty, probably a pretty broad American support for, for that proposal. But you added, I think it turned into the traditional congressional idea of mm, a big number is good, a bigger number is better. And, you know, at, at this point, the Senate, it's expected to get through the Senate. There may be a little tweaks here and there, but um, this had better be, as you said, you know, you're saying, oh, they'll come back in a few months. Like 40 billion is a lot of a lot of money. And at some point you start wondering how many how many hands do the Ukrainians have? How much, you know, how much can they actually use at any one time? And has this turned into a point in which because Ukraine spending is one of the few things that's fairly popular right now. Everybody on Capitol Hill, left, right, and center, is just want. It's like a bidding. It's like a, it's like an auction bidding. Like they're just going to, you know, it's going to go higher and higher, uh, regardless of what is actually needed on the ground and what could actually be used on the ground. So that was kind of frustrating. Um, but I think it's. I think back to like when we were taping an episode of the editors, probably last fall. I want to say October, November, where all of us had some story of going to the grocery store. And getting one bag of groceries and, it, you know, what usually was costing $20 was $25. Um, items that were a buck were $125. All these little things that added up to you have like a $35 bag of groceries that you know usually it was 20 to 25 bucks. And it was just this. And, you, and then, of course, filling up your tank. And like, you know how much you, you are used to paying when you fill up your tank. And all of a sudden it's five bucks more and then 10 bucks more. Right. And this is back. You know, this is back in October, November. Here we are in May, and it's all worse. One of the first things I do every morning is check the AAA site for the national average for a gallon of regular, you know, gasoline, and it's been a new record pretty much every day for the last two weeks. Yeah. And you know, they're talking about potential of rationing diesel fuel on the East Coast. Diesel fuel is how everything gets to the stores that you buy. Um, like, you know, as bad as things are now, it is very conceivable things will be significantly worse by midsummer. And I think the national mood come, you know, uh, the midterm elections in November is just going to be yeah, apoplectic. And this is when we're at a, what, you know, right track direction is the number is like 19%. Oh, sweet 16. There you go. <laughs> 16%. I mean, look, you know, I'm a libertarian, Jim, you know, Ron Paul and, and, and other guys, I'm just talking big picture here. You know, Ron Paul and others have been warning that this was going to happen for decades. If anything, People like me are, are sort of surprised we've avoided disaster for this long. But it, just before we move on real quick, what I, I don't see a mechanism that could allow us to Forrest Gump our way out of a massive depression again. Because it, it seems like we're on a razor's edge of, of real disaster, you know, every five yeah. years or so. And it, it never ends up being that bad. And, and not I don't want to be offensive to the people who have lost everything. And, you know, uh -huh. like the crash in 07, 08, things like that. But... It, Generally speaking, we avoided a lot of the pain that we thought were coming our way that we honestly deserved, you know, with like these bailouts and all, uh, you know, all, all the, the monkey business behind the scenes. But it's like, obviously, you saw with this rate hike last week, 
the Federal Reserve is completely ineffectual. They're they're not. I mean, they they do not have the balls to do what. I mean, they they would literally have to jack jack up rates into the like the the Fed funds rate would have to be in the double digits at least. Um, you know, you you'd have to be talking about thirty year mortgage rates at seventeen, eighteen percent. You you have to force people to stop taking out loans. I mean, stop everybody. I mean, you have to crash the economy for a year. Yeah. Destroy the real estate market for a full year. Destroy the stock market for a full year. Or you're just going to let inflation run rampant. And, and honestly, Jim, I have to mention this. for the, I'll run the risk of sounding like a liberal. Do you, do you think the government's going to protect the rich or protect the poor? Because you know, inflation doesn't affect the elites. Inflation doesn't affect, you know, affect the politicians. They, they don't care. If if ground beef went from two bucks to six bucks a pound, like they don't care, you know what I mean? If you have assets like real estate, you know, like like you know, living here in Northern Virginia, uh, according to the tax assessor, my value of my house keeps going up more and more. Right. I would feel better about that because I I needed to be worth a lot if I ever wanted to move anywhere because real estate values are going up everywhere else. And oh by the way, that you know skyrocketing real estate value or assessment means I'm paying more in property taxes. Uh, so that, that's the, I actually don't find that to be particularly good news um, when it comes even if you own an asset uh, or something you know like a house or something like that. No, I, I there are a lot of things I worry about. High among them. Was it was it Alan Greenspan who said the job of the Fed is to take away the punch bowl just as the party starts getting fun? Yeah. You know, and, and that kind of assessment of the f- job of the Fed, in theory at least, is to make the tough calls, to make the decisions that people might, might not be popular, that people might not want to see, but is in the best long-term interest of the economy. And, we, you know, we can debate how well they've done that. I think, you know, most... Uh, people who pay really close attention to it have uh, a, a long and lengthy, detailed litany of complaints. I think the average American doesn't think very much about the Federal Reserve and thus, you know, thinks they're doing okay. Um, but in a circumstance like this, this is a circumstance where you're right. They could either tighten the belt, take you know, rip off the Band-Aid, have a really painful year, but then have, you know, reach a better point of equilibrium. Or they could continue kicking can, the can down the road and making these gradual minor half measures here and there and hope that that's enough. And I think what we've seen so far, so what you use it, you know, one is that when they do take these half, even what seems like a half measure, the markets react extremely, you know, volatilely and very strongly. And the second thing is just this, considering the amount of political pressure we've seen on the Supreme Court over the, you know, expected uh, Dobbs decision, I think if Powell does find the willingness to make some really hard calls and to make some things like, look, this is going to suck in the short term, but it's going to be better for the country in the long term. Even if he finds the will to do that, I think you'll see an enormous amount of pressure from liberal interest groups and Democrats and folks like that, particularly if it's before the midterms in November, saying Powell's trying to destroy the economy and trying to help elect Republicans and then all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, the, you know, it's, these are or, In ordinary times, these are hard decisions to make. I think because of the, um, I'm trying to think of the, you know, politically hyperactive era that we live in, it'll be even tougher uh, because of how quickly a you know uh, rage storm can can you know be stirred up by people who are convinced it's going to hurt them in, in a midterm election, then how is it? Are we just looking at long-lasting stagflation? I, 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 I mean, know, like, how, I, how do we I, avoid it? I, I mean, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I don't. There's no way. I mean, that, what Powell said was like, hey, we if if inflation persists, we might have to raise uh, rates by a half a point two more times for the end of the year. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that, oh, okay. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> if that was all it was going to take, great. 
I'm, I'm skeptical of that. Uh, if you, if it doesn't work, well, it means that you've raised it half a point and then you haven't really improved the, the situation anymore. You, you've, you know, your half measure has done some damage, but hasn't given you the benefit. Um, I, I think, you know, you know, likely Republicans are going to win the house. They got a shot at winning the Senate. I think divided government will hopefully stop, you know, the, the administration's impulse to throw as much money into the economy as possible. Although I should point out the infrastructure bill was quote unquote bipartisan. Yep. Um, I think I, there are okay. There are a lot of problems in our government. I think Biden is a is a good chunk of them right now. Um, and I think part of you know, like in addition to the usual issues of how how much is he there and he's tired and he's old and and all that. Um, you, you probably saw in the uh, the the press conference about the infant formula shortage. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk. Another about problem that. that you know, I mean. The Wall Street Journal had a big story about this in January before the Abbott recall um, and that, you know, this has been slowly brewing for a while. And, it was, you know, it was already, it was already turning into, I think, it was like 20 some percent of stores were sold out before the Abbott recall. And my, my sneaking suspicion, you know, the administration really wants to turn Abbott into a scapegoat. And we can debate. How, you know, clearly, you know, their recall made things worse. But this was building to begin with. Um, and then Biden has this just, I think, you know. It's tough competition for the worst things that he said in this industry. He said, like, "Well, if we were better, if we were mind readers, we could have seen this coming." Oh, come on! You know, yeah. No, you need to be like a Wall Street Journal reader. <laughs> you don't need <laughs> yeah. a mind reader. You know, they had a big yeah. story in January, right? You know, um, and oh, by the way, like that was not uh, my colleague Dominic Pino had this. You know, went back and he checked, and they'd done the administration had the day before done a conference call, and they've been saying we've been monitoring this for months. You know, not doing a great job, obviously, but you know, like so. Was, that was not the administration's spin, as nobody could have foreseen this. That was irritable, cranky grandpa getting mad that somebody was blaming him for a problem as president where the buck stops in a job that he spent much of his life, to, you know, insisting that he wanted, um, you know, kind of getting irritated with reporters and saying, ah, who could, you know, you have to be a mind reader to, you know, well, no, you know, no. So we, we have a supremely irresponsible president right now. Yeah. And who always goes back to Delaware every weekend and doesn't do events at night and God knows how. Uh, how uh, uh, lucid he is on any given day. So, you know, God knows whether he's running for re-election in 2024. It is conceivable before 2024 we'll have new leadership and, you know, laughing Kamala Harris may not be, but at least she's with it. At least she's not, you know, senile and doddering and, and all that stuff. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be much better on policy, but at least there will be this, like, in addition to everything else this administration gets wrong, Brady, I think you'd agree, it just seems extremely slow-footed and reactive and, you know, disregarding warnings about inflation, disregarding warnings about Afghanistan, disregard, you know, like, they're always, they're always like saying that nobody could have seen the problem coming, even though almost all of us saw the problem coming. Yeah. You mean you weren't inspired by uh, Harris's uh, speech the other day? The about the together. If we work together, yes. then the togetherness will be together with us working together. Yeah, <laughs> it, it always sounds like some typo on a hypo in a, in a Hallmark card. You but know? it was she was, was reading though. It was a prepared statement. Yeah. Like how do you even? It's just so it's bizarre. I, it's her, like her entire cadence, and like the way she delivers her word. It's like I don't know. It's like somebody speaking English or like. It's like an, a space alien trying to interact with human beings for the first time. Yeah. When you didn't really do the homework on like how we interact well, with each other. It's like, it's so mm -hmm. strange to me. Yeah. The, the most common, you know, comparison I keep hearing is that uh, a sixth grader who hasn't done the reading, uh, didn't, didn't read the book report and is trying to talk about it. And 
this is an important book whose importance is emphasized and underlined by its importance to all of a you know kind of <laughs> it's, circular. It's like... It's like our editor, one of our editors wants 2,000 words, and you're at like 1750, and you're just yep. out. You're just done. How can like, I stretch right. this out? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, that's, you know, th- th- that is what we're dealing with. I think, look, you know, people can argue about 2020. I don't think anyone would say that these were two sterling, sharp, top-of-their-game minds uh, as options in 2020, but I think it's safe to say um, Joe Biden was too old for the job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that that people voted for him, hoping that he was going to turn things back to normal, uh, that order would replace chaos. And we have simply traded one form of chaos for another form of chaos. Yeah. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is in the rearview mirror. That's great. Glad to hear that. But inflation has just kind of, you know, replaced it as this giant destabilizing force in our lives. And there was this remarkable story, I think it was a Politico, where uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter said she only noticed it oh, when gosh. she realized she was paying you know, 10 bucks a pound for, for bacon. She tells other Democrats about this and they say, well, this isn't, isn't coming up in our polling. What kind of polling are you doing where you're not detecting Americans being a frust- you know, <coughs> frustrated, upset, angered, or scared by inflation? You know, Go poll I random mean, people at the nearest gas station. Right? I mean, like, you, you, know. don't, you don't need to poll. Like, my goodness. Like, if, ch- if chicken's $10 a pound, you don't need to spend big money on pollsters. My goodness. Just go, go speak to people on the streets. Yeah, it is amazing. And one more thing, one more note before we move on, Jim. As I, I did not know, because I don't have children yet, and I wasn't aware that 70% of infants use formula at least as a supplement. Um, I had no idea. I mean, I figured it would be yeah. like 20% or something, mm-hmm. not 70%. So it's like, boy, oh, boy. I mean, if I don't know. Maybe maybe, no, maybe, our, it... or maybe our boy Ron DeSantis can turn Florida into the uh, baby formula producing capital of the world or something. I don't know. He, he seems to, <laughs> to come up aces yeah. every few months. Maybe he can figure it out. I don't know. I wrote about this on – so my boys are 14 and 12, so it's a good long time since we've needed infant formula in this house. And you could probably tell, like, you know, the, the great measuring stick of how – you know, of, of the age of your children is have you been thinking about this infant formula, you know, shortage before last week? Uh, and I feel a little bad that I only wrote about it on Monday, uh, but I was at least, at least a day or two ahead of everybody else, it seemed. And it was, um, you know, th- th- there are all kinds of reasons. You know, sometimes babies won't latch on very well. Sometimes uh, mother's schedule and the availability of breastfeeding, nutritional needs. You know, there are a lot of families that operate on this. And, you know, yes, it's probably bad that there are only four producers. Either, it was really kind of fascinating last, oh, right, I guess, the Friday afternoon. Scott Linciomi, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but the trade guy at AEI uh, and Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner, two guys who are kind of right of center. I think they're two very bright guys. And they just got into an argument over any uh, the the um, limitations on the import of baby formula from Europe. Now, baby formula, from, by the way, if you, if you try to bring over baby formula from Europe in your suitcase, Customs and Border Protection will seize it, right? Course, they they, they, they do not, you know shrug this sort of thing off, right? This is, you know, now you may have noticed also, you don't hear about masses of infants keeling over and dying over in Europe. Clearly this stuff is, you know, and the argument is, well, it's, it doesn't, it's not up to FDA standards. Well, okay, no, but actually a whole bunch of European countries have even tougher standards for quality and nutrition and stuff like that. Right. Um, so it's, it, it is, it, there's a strong argument. My colleague, Dominic Pino did a really good uh, uh, article about this, pointing out that like this, there's a certain amount of protectionism here. 
this idea of oh we can't have that foreign baby formula in this you know we, we can only protect you know all these all american babies should be having american you know uh, made baby formula and so here we are in this we have a huge shortage and you'd like to think they'd say the first thing they'd say is okay clearly this isn't killing the european babies we have an absolute you know crisis level situation it's you know 40 percent of store shelves are empty here in the united states got to bring this stuff over as far as I know, I don't think the administration is moving on this. Yeah. That's how, you know, set in their ways and plodding and slow moving they are. And it's uh, it's pretty exasperating, Brady. Yeah. I mean, the only silver lining, we mentioned this before we started recording, the only silver lining here is the electoral side of it, um, which if, if this recession is going to be as bad as I think it, it might be, it might not matter. But um, the Democrats do deserve to be punished. I, I mean, I can't, I don't know if I can remember, at least not in my lifetime, but a political party that deserved to lose as bad as the Democrats do on economics, on foreign policy, on, I mean, even just culturally, the, the sneering, the absolute disdain that they have shown for the American public on this last couple of years is just incredible. They deserve to lose. And it is looking like they're going to get absolutely hammered in November. Pew Research on Saturday released some new data. Um, from the previous week that said um, the top issue for voters nationally is inflation, and that's around 70%. 70% of voters view inflation as their top issue. No other issue comes even close. COVID is all the way down at 19% as, as far as people viewing it as a major issue. Um, I mean, it could be like a 2010. We could pick up 60 seats in the House. I, 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 I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, even though we're a lot more polarized now than we were then. Um, and a lot of these Senate races look good. I mean, Ohio, New Hampshire looks okay. Georgia looks good. I I, I just saw, uh, uh, I think yesterday, they had some numbers out of Missouri. Looks like Eric Greetens is way down in the primary there, which is great news. <laughs> I think he's probably the only— I was going to say, thank he, you, Missouri yeah, he's, Republicans, for he's, how, you know, that, that molecule of common sense that uh, is necessary to recognize the dangers of nominating him. Yeah, but yeah I, the, the only thing that would—the the two things that I think are holding back Republican gains this year— uh, in the House, at least, are you know gerrymandering. Democrats have have done their their done a pretty good job protecting their yep. members as best they can. That only works so much in a wave year, but that's going to mitigate it a little bit. And I think the other thing which people forget about when we see huge gains for Republicans in a year like 1994 or 2010, Biden didn't have coattails, and yeah. Republicans are like you know start out this year like only six seats away, so they're starting out on a much higher floor. So there's less room to you know there are fewer. How the heck did this guy get elected, you know, wave year presidential coattail House Democrats hanging around? So that's the only thing which I think it could be uh, you know, people. go, Oh, 25 to 30. You're going to hear people saying, oh, what a huge disappointment for Republicans. No, it's only that there are probably only 25 to 30 that are really in play. Although, the again, if, if this this political environment feels worse for Democrats than 2010 did. So at that point, then, yeah, maybe you start losing the D plus five, D plus six seats. Maybe you start losing even the. You know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten uh, seats, depending if people are mad enough about the issues and fed up with their their uh, their incumbents. So, you know, that and you know, I, I concur with the Senate races. I think we'll know more when we have these primaries shaken out. Um, you know, it's it's the you know, Republicans may not be nominating the uh, the best potential nominees. Congratulations to you out in Ohio with JD Vance. I know you're thrilled to heap to pieces about that. Uh, but by and large, you know, be- I think better the, the better general... than better than Mandel, better than the alternative. There you go, exactly. You know that that extraordinarily high bar to clear. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, this is going to be you know, the Republican message in in November is going to be, "Have you had enough?" And a lot of years, that's all it takes to win a you know a big wave year, particularly in economic conditions like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, man, 
I, I just don't know. There, there are some really good. There are. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be too overly pessimistic here. There are some great candidates running. Um, you know, we should be able to pick up some some good gains here. A lot of the a lot of my favorite people out there look pretty safe, um, as well. But it's like, man, we don't need Herschel Walker. We need Warren Harding. <laughs> Not, nothing gets Herschel Walker. I mean, like I hope he, I yeah. hope he just takes uh, Raphael Warnock behind the woodshed, man. I think Warnock is the worst. He hides behind his his supposed Christian faith to push Marxism. And as a devout Christian, I find that to be disgusting and evil, quite frankly. And I hope Herschel Walker absolutely smokes him and ends his career. God bless you, Herschel. But, like, we need Republicans (laughs) who are able to convince the American public that the federal budget needs to be cut in half. Yeah. Quite literally. Just like how Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge did cut the budget in half. I mean, we are looking at a cliff. And I know that people like me have been saying this forever, and people just tune us out. But I don't know, man. I mean, we're we're seeing you're seeing the edges fraying across the world right now with with yeah. short. I mean, Sri Lanka is out of food and gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're beating politicians to death in the streets right now because the people are starving. OK, I mean, like in Ukraine and most of Russia, farmers didn't plant crops this year. Yeah. What's yeah, going to happen to Africa real. this year? I mean, yeah. you can see revolutions. Egypt, I believe it's the. Yeah, Egypt is the country that I think imports the most. They've tried to do it, but like you're, you're saying, cooking oil. Like, there's a whole slew of domino effects of yeah. Russia and Ukraine either not being able to plant their crops, not being able to harvest their crops, or you know because of the you know fighting off the coast and mines in the water, being unable to export their crops and put them into the the ships and ports and places like Odessa. Um, that we're we're going to see a lot of instability and potentially chaos over in the eastern hemisphere over there. Yeah. I feel like that's an issue that's. I mean, to the credit, the Biden administration did do a summit on it and stuff like that. But I just feel like this is another problem that is lurking out there that is not getting nearly enough attention um, because we have to hear about you know somebody being mean to Taylor Lorenz or something like that. You right. know, really important. Right, and it's like we're we're just not the the, the federal government is not in position right now to help. Any of those those yeah, situations yeah. Um, internationally, and I, I mean they'll try. They'll, they'll try. Or, yeah, or, you know, we may we may try and we may want to, but you know we we get a good portion of our fertilizer from places like uh, from places like Russia, and so all of a sudden you know we, these these all of these other supply chain issues like the dominoes keep falling, the consequences keep coming along, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be rough sailing for at least the coming year. Um, and, you know, even for stuff that's not, you know, shipping through Shanghai or, or, you know, sitting on a boat off the coast of California waiting for a parking space to open. Yeah. And I just I, we're going to have to and it, it didn't happen this year, you know, but we're going to have to get we're going to have to develop the ability on the right to to vet candidates better and to educate candidates better. We need people coming out of, you know, these ep- economic schools that make sense. I mean, it's like you look at the Tea Party movement and you look at um you know, like the Ron Paul movement in 08 and, and 2012 when he ran for president as well. I mean, Ron Paul had, you know, 15,000 college kids in some arena somewhere chanting, end the Fed or audit the Fed. You know what I mean? You have all these hundreds and hundreds of Tea Party candidates talking about balancing the budgets um, and, and bringing yeah. bring down debts and deficits. And it's like all of that amounted to absolutely nothing. So it's like 40 I, years I, of, of relatively low inflation. Got you know, what, what to the extent Americans pay attention to the Federal Reserve, which is which is not very much. Right. Uh, you you can afford to not pay attention. 
when you know inflation didn't seem very high and the economy seemed to be humming along and you'd hit a, a recession every now and then you know other than 2007 2008 they were pretty mild and now they're not and now you're in economic conditions where like you know like i you know every, every time i fill up my gas i'm like wow this is really bad well you know like you you can deal with any kind of hardship for a short period of time except we're now in like month six seven eight of really high gas prices and they're not coming down we're dealing with month, you know, the better part of a year of high food prices, and they're not coming down. Like it's it's this constant, continuing squeeze, and I don't this this White House does not seem like it is, you know, in crisis mode. It, you, know, it, you know, part of the problem is they keep spending the first six months of every crisis insisting it's not happening. I mean, it's like when you have politicians who spend like you're in a crisis when you're in a time of peace and prosperity. Yeah. You know, oh my goodness. And then all of a sudden the crisis hits. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it, you keep spending, and it's not. It's mostly Democrats, of course, but. Bush was a huge spender. Trump was a huge spender. It's you know Reagan was mm -hmm. a big spender. It's not you know it's not just a Democrat problem. They they're you know markedly worse <laughs> than yeah. we are on all any 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 step of the way. They're going to be worse and they're going to spend more money. But I mean, man, it's you spending like crazy, like you're in a true crisis in in 2015 is one thing, and then, mm. you know, Russia, and then there's a land war in Europe, Asian countries are out of food, there's, yeah, <laughs> we're going back to trying to control the price of gas. Boy, oh boy, it's like, maybe they should have listened to us over the last 40 years, but what a, what a cheery way to end a podcast, <laughs> podcast, Jim, I feel like we always do this, you know, I, maybe next time you come ah. on, we'll have uh, some great news, you know, yeah. Maybe. Okay, the, the most optimistic thing I've written came in today's Morning Jolt, a profile of Rick Caruso, who is running for mayor out in right, Los right. Angeles. Yeah, yeah. He's a billionaire. Yeah, mention that real quick. And, you know, very short version. You know, look, is this guy a Republican? Eh, you know, he was a Republican, registered Republican until 2012. Registered Democrat right before he chose to run for mayor this year. Um, did serve in Trump's, econo uh, uh, you know, one of his panels to help the economy recover after COVID-19. Um, on the Reagan uh, Library Board. Look, by Los Angeles standards, he's conservative. You know, by your and my standards, maybe not. Basically, he is the most rightward option in the Los Angeles mayor's race. The last poll had him up by one point. Um, and he's up on the airwaves uh, all over the place. So maybe Los Angeles could have, by L.A. standards, rightward governance in the, in the years to come. So a, a race worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, that is interesting. And, you know, it's it's I, I am encouraged to see these, you know, people that wouldn't necessarily have been allies a few years ago. Um mm. You know, jumping into the fray. I mean, that, that's what Elon Musk is. Like, he's no yeah. right winger. I mean, he's like a socially liberal atheist guy who's obsessed with climate change. I mean, he's he's not like yeah. Barry Goldwater. Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know what I mean? And he, but he's like enough, enough. And you're seeing the same situation yes. in L.A. It's like the, some of these guys who have a lot. I mean, you even saw Jeff Bezos go after the president on Twitter. He's as far left as it gets. But some of these guys are like enough is enough. Just read the room, man. I'm going to say, you know, the woke left makes you, you know, really wants to make you believe two plus two equals five. And enough people will say, mm, nope, sorry, can't go along with that. You're you're actually going steering us in the wrong direction. And uh, hopefully it spreads in the year to come. Yeah, I mean, and it's easy to go along with it, um, whether you're just a politician or a corporation or, or anything or just an average voter. It's easier to go along with like the bizarre fringe woke stuff when everything's going well. <laughs> you know, yeah. but when it's not, you're like, okay, all right, can we please focus on things that matter? You know, yeah. you look at that campaign in LA, and that's exactly what it's about. I mean, the city's falling apart. I mean, it's you know, people don't have time for the pronoun stuff when there's some homeless guy pooping in their front yard. You know, exactly. Yeah. So. 
Jim, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. Hopefully we can uh, do this again soon. Where can everybody uh, check out your show, which is fantastic, and follow you online, read your stuff, sub subscribe to the Morning Jolt, all, all the plugs. Yeah, so uh, Morning Jolt newsletter comes out Monday through Friday. It uh, can be found at nationalreview.com. I also write in the corner there pretty often, occasionally a standalone piece here and there. Uh, the daily podcast I do with uh, Greg Columbus of Radio America is called The Three Martini Lunch. It's available or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, on all the major platforms. And uh, at least once a week, I tape the editors with Rich Lowry and Charlie Cook and other folks at National Review. So check them all out. And uh, if you know, and uh, I'll just keep doing them. <laughs> Everybody check check all that stuff out. Everybody follow Jim. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.